0: So this is Application Paranoia, episode nine. Hey, welcome again to Application Paranoia, our podcast about application security, DevSecOps, and AppScan. This is our twice-monthly discussion around technical insights, assorted facts, and the latest news from the world of HTL AppScan. I'm Colin Bell, and I have with me yet again, Rob Cuddy and Chris Stewart. On today's episode, we're going to discuss, as always, AppScan news. We're going to have some fun discussion, and at the end, we're going to have an interview with Dragon Pleskanic. I'm sure everyone will find that fascinating. So, hey, Chris, how are you? How are you? What's been happening in your world? Yeah, so not a whole lot of New
1: Hampshire news today, but I wanted to kind of bring up an article I was looking at on the hacker news that I thought was interesting and sort of shows that insecure code is still being written in real time day with all the tools that we have and all the things we have to analyze these tools it's still happening which I thought was interesting I don't necessarily want to call it out but I mean it's it's there in the article it's easy enough to read but the Find My Mobile app for Android users it turns out uses a local file that's openly available to everybody so they could literally write use this server instead type of thing and it would not use the Samsung servers it would use the malicious server and then they can basically own your phone so Ah. yeah and that's still there, yeah? The principle of least privilege is kind of important, people. <laughs> use it. Do not use open except and just expressive permissions. Do not use export everything under the sun. Be selective with what you allow to happen. <gasps> <laughs> like, how is this still a thing? But it is. And, you know, it is because not everybody knows about software security, not everybody knows how to do you know defensive programming even which is level one software software security making sure your uuids are uuids and not you know script hello world ha, ah, i'm here script or anything like that <laughs> you know just simple simple validations would be able to make sure this thing worked and it's just <laughs> even if you use this open file is it you know maybe md5 it to make sure nobody else changed it and store that in your value or whatever it takes but I don't know, such a simple, tiny little flaw can totally open your phone to the world. It's wild.
0: It's wild. Uh, and that's and that's just with Android, is it?
1: Yeah, that was just with Android. I mean, iOS has its own slew of things. I, there was one with the uh, fingerprint ID that I didn't go into. But yeah, it's interesting stuff to to be able to read about and to see just how open we are to the world and just how easy some of these flaws are to exploit. He says, you really got to, you know.
0: There was something I was going to mention in this. I was looking at the news this morning, and I saw the, the parody that Epic Games had done on Apple have you seen that it's, no, it's, I it's it, known, so basically mm-mm. they got they got kicked off they got kicked off the apple platform and they've got having some sort of dispute it's one of those where you eat popcorn and watch you know uh, but but they, they remember funny. the original apple 1984 video that they had so've they've, oh, yeah? par- they've done a parody of that where they have this big apple with half a bite out of it and a worm hanging out of it yeah. you know making demands of the it's 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 awesome. Yeah, that's it's so funny. Thing about the Play Store. The oh, Android we Store and all that. Business. We got to see yeah.
2: that one. Yeah, share the link, dude. That's a that'd be a good one. Yeah. yeah. So, so so Rob, how are you? Yeah. You know I'm doing pretty good. Uh, hanging in there. It's you know we're getting close to back to school time here, so uh, things ramping up and stuff like that. But uh, it's pretty fun. But yeah, just to, to kind of piggyback what, what Chris was talking about a second ago and how open we are, one of the fun things that, that I came across very recently was uh, fun things that you can do with Alexa. And so, so many of us now doing <laughs> kinds of... Um, you know, home devices and things like that. All these things on Easter eggs and stuff with Alexa and, and everything from, you know, getting it to uh, speak like Yoda to um, identifying songs and stuff like that. But but some of the more fun ones that uh, <laughs> jumped out to me and I think are both funny and, and scary at the same time, right? Which how much uh, it knows about us. If, if you were to ask Alexa, who's on first, it would launch into the Abbott and Costello routine and start telling you um you know that's what i tell you who's on first what's on second and it would uh, keep referencing the routine from there you can actually play rock paper scissors with alexa but you can also do the big bang theory version of rock paper scissors lizard spock and uh, (laughs) and go that there there was a uh, fun sort of self-destruct one where if you ask alexa to self-destruct it will say things like uh, auto destruction in five, four, three, two, one, <laughs> boom. Hmm, that did not go as planned. I'll start the self destruct sequence, but only on the understanding that you dramatically cancel it at the last second. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff like that. You know, I think my favorite ones were the fact that the, if you guys remember the old Contra days uh, from the Nintendos where you had the China cheat code with Konami, the Konami code, the, Yes, I remember the, the Konami the, code Up, up, down, down, left, right, yeah. left, right BA start, right? If you actually do that to Alexa, it will respond with Super Alexa mode activated and go into a whole bunch of other things um, 30
1: lives is the question yes. <laughs> I, well,
2: was, I think it was 99 in Contra it was pretty awesome <laughs> wow. and my, my, personal, my personal favorite favorite cheat code here was with uh, with Chuck Norris, so if you ask Alexa where Chuck Norris is, it will tell you if Chuck Norris wants you to know where he is, he'll find you. If he doesn't, you won't know until it's too late.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> so yeah, so all kinds of good stuff.
0: Remember a, a few weeks back or a few episodes back, I mentioned Mischief. Um yeah. so they so they did another drop of, the, the, a couple of weeks back where they launched uh Alexa gate so and nice. basically it's basically a big plastic yoke that you put on top of Alexa and it blocks Amazon from spying on you <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> so basically tape they they gave you yes. a piece of
0: tape Cover yeah. your camera, it jams your mic using seven ultrasonic speakers. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and Tupperware. <laughs> well, why would you even
1: own an Alexa if you want that too? <laughs> yeah,
0: I, yeah I, I think you're missing the parody there, Chris. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yes, I want to have uh, one. more fun fact that I have, and it's it's not really a fun fact. It's just something I found highly amusing. So, um, and you know, former employee of mine, IBM, they they put a job up. Add up for someone with Kubernetes experience, but they're looking for someone with twelve uh, years yeah. of Kubernetes. It's even been around for twelve years? <laughs> it's like what? Two years old? Something like that? <laughs> you, you, you obviously saw that,
1: yeah? Minimum of two, wasn't it? <laughs> He's yeah. like, well, I kind of built it, so I don't know if I have twelve years. <laughs> right.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Could twelve plus try. years. They wanted yeah? <laughs> Whoa, just wow. Just brilliant! It's like, so I, I guess no one applied unless unless they can do time travel or something. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, maybe they're in the
1: midst of time travel or right? something. Yeah. Time dilation. There we go.
0: Okay, so in Appscan News, what do we have, Chris? What what is the good stuff that we have? Yeah. AppScan? So. Languages. Woohoo!
1: We have language but, support. We've added
0: this is for, for ASOC, yeah. ASO, so, yeah. ASO, yeah.
1: So uh, static analysis has now do uh, now does Angular JS eight and nine ionic uh-huh. framework, which is you know nice. It's a, it's a nice little addition. Uh, but really TypeScript is our the one we're most happy about. That handles a lot of the stuff that Angular proper didn't handle. So some of the, the regular language constructs that could be dangerous, we call those out now. Um, I mean, gen- I mean, obviously, general bugs and improvements. I don't even know why we call that out in our news sometimes, but we do. <laughs> so always general bugs and improvements—that's that's what we do. Uh, but really, um, some some other things for DAST or scan logs can now be downloaded. Uh, there's a few uh, APIs that have been implemented for quality of life improvements for folks who don't use the UI and want to automate things through the APIs, which is nice. Our reports have gotten better, and certainly uh, for those of you using CodeSweep, and I know there's a lot of uh, a lot of folks out there that are using CodeSweep. Some new languages got added to that now too, which is you know TypeScript, Angular eight nine, and Ionic are all part of CodeSweep. So you know, download it, use it. It's free. Yeah. It's so co-
0: co- CodeSweep's now. Uh, yeah, that was the other release was it's now at one point one point one. So yeah. it's...
1: <laughs> it's like I say, eleven eleven.
0: You know, make a wish. But... <laughs> I guess
1: CodeSweep one 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 make a wish.
0: <laughs> The other one I noticed was the AppScan Activity Recorder as well had a new release. It's good, for, um, it's good for recording manual explore and login and all of that stuff,
1: which is kind of key and kind of important to make DAST even work. So yeah, having mm-hmm. it plug into the Chrome or into Chrome, I should say, is is a big deal. It gets a lot more accurate. It makes it a lot better than it ha- ever has been in the past. So it doesn't sound like a lot, oh, we got an Activity Recorder 1.06. Woohoo! But no, it's a big deal.
0: Yeah, very good. Very good. The next segment was, we didn't really have a next segment, So why don't we ask Chris a best practice on something? What's a good best practice to ask you about, Chris?
1: Yeah, so best practice number one, use prepared statements. Stop using execute query for the love of all that's good and holy.
0: <laughs> Just stop it. That's, that's, we <laughs> definitely need that message to get out there. Don't yes. <laughs> I, I don't, every time I see
1: execute query or execute statement, a little part of my soul dies. I don't even care if there's no stupid parameters. Make it a habit. Never yeah. use a statement. Always use a prepared statement. Always use a prepared query. There's just, come on, people. <laughs> it's, it's
0: and so it, it, it's, it's not just stored procedures though, Chris, is it? So,
1: no, it's just prepared statements in general. Stop. It's not even stored procedures in that case. It's literally just stop writing queries that concatenate strings. That's that's 99.9 percent of your SQL injection problems.
0: Dynamic SQL.
1: Stop using dynamic SQL, and if it has to be dynamic, use prepared
0: statements. So that's that's our fun tip for the for the week. Yeah, Yeah, I've
1: got got, like tons of them.
0: I'm delighted to welcome someone who I've worked with for a number of years as a, as a customer. This week, we have Dragan Pleskanic. He's a senior director for application security at a, a large multinational organization, and he's also an adjunct professor. Now, I don't even know what an adjunct professor is, so maybe he'll explain that to us. So welcome, Dragan, really, really pleased to have you here.
3: Uh, thank you very much for inviting me to take part in this podcast. I was
0: curious what an adjunct professor was because I noticed that that's your your title. So
3: yes, so so I have a, I would say career at university and academia, so to say, for quite some time. And actually, I started my career as teaching assistant and then went through different phases. But I switched to research institute and then to commercial sector. But I kept my position at um, one uh, uh, school, which uh, I was teaching uh, courses like uh, operating systems, uh, software development, uh, network security, software security, information security management, similar courses. And I kept that uh, uh, until recently. I have been... uh, Elected as uh, adjunct professor because to be full professor or associate professor you need to be there full time or part time and you need to work uh, at university. But uh, as I worked for commercial sector and uh, I couldn't uh, kind of uh, cope with both roles, so that means that I have some uh, of uh, books written textbooks for university. Then like so, so far with uh, with uh, my co-authors. Then uh, number of scientific uh, papers, I think uh, more than 70, I have some impact factor and uh, indices, if you look for my profile on Google Scholar and other places. So, and some patents granted with the US patent and trademark office. So I'm partially at research side and scientific side, but more in professional and industry and commercial sector at the present
0: time. Very good. Very good. I mean, that's that's quite, quite an impressive list of, of, of achievements there. Just so everyone knows, um, Dragan is in Belgrade in Serbia. And I, I noticed in June, you know, because I obviously follow you on Twitter and stuff that you had you were part of a local discussion in Serbia which which surprised me because obviously there were people together which is something that I've been craving for months now because we're all in isolation you know but I, I my Serbian isn't great so I couldn't really work it out but it seemed to be about pan, about the pandemic and the impact of business and property is, is, was that correct perhaps yeah. you can tell us a little bit about what that discussion was about
3: yes actually that was conference uh, with the title uh, risks of uh, new age and that conference was planned well before uh, corona pandemic and then they postponed it due to period of uh, lockdown and then they planned that when uh, some uh, measures were kind of uh, uh, released here in in serbia i would say real event not online event and it was focused on cybersecurity risks and pandemic and climate changes and how it affects business and assets. At this specific panel I was invited to speak at, we discussed how pandemic affects cybersecurity, what are risks associated with increased work from home, and how to protect corporations and employees from cybersecurity threats and attacks. And tax, you can see that uh, topics were slightly changed in what previously was planned due to pandemic so we wanted to follow that development it also had participants from insurance companies and it discussed how they can include be included in ensuring cybersecurity risks, so it's something what was interesting to me to learn how they see cybersecurity risks and how they can ensure that risks. And also, conclusions on that uh, a panel and conference uh, that the increase of threats and attacks during the pandemic is really significant and the attack surface is actually much bigger and become much bigger than before malicious hackers have seen it as great opportunity to them so companies had to switch to work from home very quickly and those who didn't have good business continuity plans the security measures well taught and well prepared have had challenging times fortunately number of companies did this very quickly and successfully, and I can say my company was among those who did really quick switch, and it was very successful and uh, safe, I would say. Secure.
1: Yeah, I just got finished reading a blog about that, and it's interesting because the attack surface isn't really code or data centers anymore. It's literally the people. They became critical path for making sure people know how to avoid phishing attacks or ransomware attacks and things like that. It's pretty wild how you, your threat surface changes based on where people work. <laughs> Is that that's yeah. not going away when you're in the office, you still have phishing attacks and all that, but suddenly now it's really the focus.
2: Yeah, and you get them from a number of new places too, right? So it's not just that office environment, but it's all of the other devices at home and everything else that's
3: connected to your home network. Mm -hmm. And in that panel, uh, I recommended a set of security measures which companies, employees, individuals should take in order to protect better their employees, devices, networks, systems, and overall businesses. And it was interesting that conference was attended by various people, including C-level and director-level levels of companies who are decision makers in their companies and also other risk professionals from various industries, Uh, they had chance to learn how to deal with the, is usually say these days, new normal, those new circumstances due to pandemic. So it was interesting.
0: It looked very good and I was quite impressed because on Twitter, there's a picture of of the people in the room, and I'm just saying, well, they actually had people together face They're to face. In. <laughs> They're in the same room,
3: and, and, <laughs> they, and really they, they, they kept a the physical distance, and also <laughs> all the measures, masks, and uh, antiseptics, and everything what is needed. Yeah, the hand, <laughs> the the hand sanitizer. sanitizer.
2: Yeah. people. I, I miss <laughs> the ball. I miss yeah. the ball. <laughs> right. It's, it's either that, or you're doing what sporting events are doing, right, and having cardboard cutouts of everybody sitting. Or yeah. literal
1: fans in the in the bleachers yes. there. You know, right, the NBA. So <laughs> they put what four fans in the seats? Like that's just yes. taking it too far. No, people. The,
2: the best one I saw. Not to tangent, but somebody did. If you've ever seen Weekend at Bernie's
1: somebody
2: cut out of bernie and put that in dodger stadium
1: i thought that was awesome (laughs) it's like a throwback to the 80s or whatever it
0: was (laughs) i did see i did see a cartoon of where's wally and he's in a street and he's on his own
1: (laughs) (laughs) he's easy to find now (laughs) but that does beg the question you bring up um decision makers drug and to me, some of the, the challenges you have in application security are around decision makers making the decision to actually have application security. Um, but beyond that, um, let's assume that our decision makers are doing the right thing and they're saying, yes, we need it. What do you think are some of the biggest challenges you face or your team faces or even just security teams in general face when they have to do their job?
3: Yes, it's interesting. So, a good, good question. I talked to different teams and different companies about this and also different events. So, I'd say that uh, application security teams all around the globe have been under heavy pressure for a prolonged period of time. And security threats and attacks are all around and they are increasing during the time. And they are more and more focused on... The, application and software level. Uh, Application security teams have to be very skilled, experienced, and knowledgeable, and that's in multiple Areas like uh, software development methodologies, security architectures, uh, uh, risk management, s- software security from very different aspects, and uh, deep knowledge of programming languages, uh, IDs, technologies, etc., etc. This ris- comes from responsibility to provide way to remove vulnerabilities or weaknesses from the program code, and to do it very quickly. Uh, and accurate without jeopardizing delivery times and business goals. And I think that's that's a huge friction between uh, intention of most of uh, software companies to deliver new cool features or products to market uh, before uh, others and at the same time to have that secured and uh, to avoid possibility to be breached in any way. So that application security teams, when they develop good policies, processes, guidelines, incorporate technologies and tooling and help development to other teams, then usually it needs to be done in uh, some budgets, which are typically constrained in uh, terms of money and time. Also, there are a lot of other requests and challenges they need to overcome. Another thing is that these people need to be seen and trusted from the development teams because they are not coming to development team to be policing them and kind of uh, punishing them for mistakes or vulnerabilities, but actually to be good advisors and uh, to help Hmm. them to fix things. So one side of that is attitude, which these people need to have and to build good relations as helpers to to development teams development managers product people etc cetera, etc cetera. they need to help them also not just processes and uh, policies but also with the tool sets they use to teach them about how to use and as you know different tools can have different uh, good and and not so good uh, sites, so they need to advocate that to help them to use to understand and to help them to understand the findings and uh, uh, to help them to see how it can affect real uh, usage of tool and how hackers can breach possibly that and to tell them what are remediation steps and maybe that remediation steps and advice is how to fix the vulnerabilities are one of the most important things. There are a set of other things like uh, there might be false positives, false negatives in uh, findings, so people need to deal with that, to analyze that, and also need to see other things that probably are not directly visible from uh, report findings and from uh, scan reports, so they need to help them to understand. And I think most important, Remediation. How to remediate? Because not all software developers are equally well trained in and, and passionate about software security. So some of them can understand findings and can be very quick in in fixing issues, but some of them need really help from application security teams. Dragon, that's really interesting because we we had an interview not
2: too long ago um, with our CISO, where you know they were talking about just of what the security employee of tomorrow might look like and some of the skills and things that are needed for that. And so I'm curious, what if you were talking to someone who was interested in getting into cybersecurity and getting into the application security space these days, um, what advice would you have for them on getting started and how they could kind of come up to speed?
3: So, if you're talking about people who will work in application security, uh, I think uh, they need to know, I believe, and have experience with software development. They should have some, I believe, years spent in real software development, and they need to have uh, written in their thousands or tens of thousands lines of code. They need to be familiar with uh, at least one or two major programming languages. And uh, to know that in uh, really deep details, I would say after the intermediate code or even after the assembler code, so to understand how process and data flows are going with these things. So uh, that's one aspect. Another aspect, they need to be familiar with software architectures and uh, frameworks, which are used, plus general understanding of software architecture, and software development lifecycle and secure SDLC. So there's some things that I will suggest they to be familiar with. And I think that uh, enthusiasm and uh, patient uh, towards security attitude will be very helpful. So to learn all the time uh, and maybe to add here, something what I l- work on and like is actually usage of machine learning and artificial intelligence is maybe better to say machine learning than artificial intelligence right Uh, here so you know what is difference i I saw that somewhere on twitter or elsewhere (laughs) what is difference between uh, machine learning and uh, artificial intelligence they say if you see something in C, c r python or some Similar language, it's probably machine learning. If you see that in PowerPoint, that's probably probably AI. <laughs>
1: nice. <laughs> nice distinction. <laughs> yes. So
3: uh, I, I can I don't know who first uh, say that, uh, so I cannot give credit. That's not mine, but I like mm-hmm. that.
2: Yeah, and
3: uh, actually, you can relate. yes, and actually, can... when talking about machine learning in this area, there are a couple of things that are very important. One thing is domain knowledge. So you need to really know that domain very well. In this case, that's software and software security. If you're going to work in health industry, you need to be good in medicine or pharmacy, or if you're going to work in automotive, then in that area, et cetera, et cetera. Another thing, when you know domain knowledge, you need the data sets. Data sets are really uh, of big importance here and uh, gathering data sets and uh, finding them. And if you're going to work with supervised machine learning, uh, labeling that uh, data sets is, I think something what is very, very big task and requires lot of manpower and a lot of knowledge to properly label data sets. If you're going to answer supervised learning, then it's another area and the uh, endless discussions about uh, supervised versus uh, deep or versus unsupervised learning. So probably we don't want to, to go to that area today, but that's <laughs> a specific area and, and very important. And then next set of things that people need to know are algorithms in machine learning. They rec- there are many algorithms from decades now. Improvements are, are done all the way and development and optimization, and these are areas of really paramount importance. What we are lucky today is that we have uh, uh, almost unlimited storage capabilities, what wasn't available when I started in artificial intelligence and machine learning. So we have today terabytes, that time it was megabytes, maybe even less. So we have storage, uh, plenty of storage, We have also good connectivity, what we didn't have maybe 20 years ago. And we have also much better processing power. Even today, uh, hardware and processor power is is sometimes not enough to do some tasks in machine learning, so there's specialized hardware for that. And I think finally, and most important are people, talent. People who know all of these and can work in this area, finding right people is really Specific tasks, and I work in that. And there are many people around uh, which can say they would like to be a machine learning specialist and to know everything about it. But I think it requires a lot of uh, knowledge of mathematics, statistics, programming, and data structures, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So uh, it's it's really needed to invest a lot of time in domain and in toolset that you want to use for that. Very interesting, I would say.
1: Yeah. So everything you just need to know everything.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes, and uh, I will tell you in some project that I initiated and started. That's like my pet project. I was very ambitious at the beginning and say I need this and this and this, and I put huge list what I need in people to work in that project. And I found mm-hmm. that is something what is too optimistic, and said, okay, I will find person who have uh, at least two of these areas
1: and, the rest you can learn, yeah.
3: and then we will focus their work on that areas and then others will help to them and in, in. so it's not easy to find people that know even a major p- part of this so you can limit your ambitions to finding uh, people that know really well one or two hopefully three areas and then help them and work together in team with the compatible people that know other areas. So right. it's how you can motivate them.
2: So I'm curious, as a as an adjunct professor, right? You know, we work a little bit with universities as well trying to address kind of that skills gap, right, that we've all heard about in here. What do you think that we can do better to kind of partner with, with academics and kind of help get people to the point where they're addressing more of these um, and and kind of building these skills that are needed?
3: Uh, It probably depends on on, uh, geography, on the country and educational system. In Europe, that's probably one way and pretty much uh, different in different countries. In North America, probably the other way. But definitely, I think that uh, in Europe, at least, And in my area, professors at university are most kind of uh, focused on fundamental theoretic courses and uh, details of that and kind of uh, getting that uh, uh, fundamental knowledge, which is not uh, directly uh, usable in practical Mm -hmm. work. They're expecting the uh, students when they finish university to get that experience. So a gap between these two thinking are probably internships that some companies offer and uh, quite interesting is that uh, many companies have that issue with getting people to internship, they need to invest that people in terms of time of uh, their uh, current employees who need to mentor interns. And sometimes that people don't have time or ambition or uh, empathy or whatever is needed.
1: Or we're lazy. <laughs> yes.
3: There is that gap of uh, switching from the university to real life and, uh, and commercial work. Some Some graduates switch very quickly because they work on real projects during summers, during uh, some taking some uh, seminars or projects, and some people struggle with with jumping to that bot. And I think uh, engaging the university and professors and their teams with, with the real industry is helpful. I, I feel that it's better in, in North America than in Europe, but I cannot be sure because in europe it depends from country to country
2: it kind of varies from state to state here as well too sometimes
1: yeah so my my very favorite um thing to go go with with application security is how do you convince developers that a finding is real because developers love to say no this is garbage but what if it's not how do you convince them what kinds of things do you look for in a finding to make sure they can actually understand what you're saying and that's real <laughs>
3: uh, it's not easy sometimes it's really not easy typically when you go to developers and show them findings and report they will tell you oh uh, they feel like they will cry at that moment <laughs> <laughs> so typical reaction is a ne- negation say oh these are not real findings all of these are false positives so you need to work with them carefully and as application Security analyst, you bring them results uh, and then uh, you, as messenger, who bring them bad news, you are not like too much. So you need to build trust and relationship with them, to sit down with them and analyze results. You need to take care to bring them very accurate and precise results. And then, very important thing is to show them how that code can be breached, if you can do that. So if you can show them example of cross-site scripting, for example, of session forgery or any type of injection like SQL in- injection or command injection on their code, they will trust you. Another way would be to use the vulnerability assessment or penetration testing people to show them how in real life their code can be breached and then they will tell, oh, that's interesting. That's really something what can be done. But uh, the difficulty, difficulty with that is that there is no good correlation between, I would say, if you do penetration testing or even dust and sast So I would say that's one of holy grails that correlation, yes. <laughs> holy grails of, of testing.
0: The last episode, we said that was the holy grail, so you're spot on. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> and
3: and, uh, and uh, ex- actually, we we used that way to, to show them uh, how data flows and process flow and there are sources and things and how it can be actually misused. Mm. And when they see that on a couple of examples, then you get trust and confidence from the developers. And when you tell them something is false positive and you discuss and find out it's really false positive, they, then you it's also good because they understand that you are not subjective on that and telling everything is real. Important thing. Another thing is actually always in development team, in my experience, there are some people that are very oriented toward the software security. They like security. So you bring them as your allies, I would say, like security champions and talk to them as point of contact in that team so they can understand better what you're saying to them and understand better security than others. And then uh, they can uh, talk to people because they're sitting together every day so they can discuss that. So that, that are some ways how to, to work with developers and it's not easy. Actually, you're telling them, oh, you didn't do this right. You need to fix this. And if you bring hundreds of that issues, then it's a problem. And one project, if I may use opportunity to tell that I started called the Glog is actually about triage and remediation with usage of machine learning and that's to help developers to understand findings and uh, to group them and to give them very context-specific remediation advice so system can tell them uh, similarly as that's done by uh, spell checkers in for processing Mm -hmm. language uh, tools Uh, you can i suggest you to change this by this and it will be okay. And then they will say, okay, I will accept or I will not accept. Hmm. And uh, there is a long story about the project and how and phases of the project. I can talk about that in more details. But uh, I think it's one of ways to help developers to spend less time. For example, we have some statistics that say that average findings uh, takes two hours to be solved. Some... Will take ten minutes or fifteen minutes, some will take hour two or maybe even day, two or a week or maybe even weeks and if that is average two hours if you have three hundred findings, it's six hundred hours and that's four mm-hmm. many months. Nobody from project management and uh, business perspective will accept that and If you have yeah. a tool which will trash out the false positives first and then for real issues, give them very specific guidance how to fix that in matter of minutes or maybe tens of minutes. And you can uh, switch that time from 600 hours to maybe two, three hours, that would be really... And I think we achieved that with this project I mentioned called the Glock.
0: I'm always with these podcasts, we, we, we run out of time very quickly. So we probably could speak forever. And I know even on the machine learning topics, you know, having had many a conversation with you in the past, we, we could probably do a whole podcast on that. I've noticed that you're also going to speak in October at the EU Council of University. And I think the topic is present and future of software security. Now, not, obviously, you're probably still working on, on that, but just to be able to give yourself a, a bit of a plug on that, what can people expect from your presentation? And, and also, where is that event? And where, where has that been held?
3: So, event is an online webinar, and people who want to attend need to register on EC Council University website in their cool. Cyber Talks section. They can also find, find the short description and link on my personal website and blog, dragonplaceconjus.com. So go there and find all the events I attended similar. As you said, EC Council University invited me to be speaker in their cyber talks among the other global cyber leaders, as they said in invitation. That sounds very well. And uh, these talks are addressing uh, real on the ground cybersecurity issues. And what people will learn, what are key takeaways uh, I guess it will be current state of application and software security, as I see it now, analysis of important challenges in, in application and software security, DevSecOps, and application security testing, and how application and software security can be improved, and what is the future.
0: Yeah. Will that be that will be in English then? Yeah. Yes, yes a... it
3: will be English. It will be in English, and there will be also short description of research and development. I've been working with combined team of industry professionals and researchers and development from scientific world on the solution that is able to give remediation advice for security vulnerabilities in software code based on context or even more to automatically fix the security vulnerabilities in the code. That's project. i telling fast this because it's project. Uh, uh, what we want actually to to bring agility, phone agility, or what is pronunciation, agility, we say, into software security lifecycle, and that to become reality. So that's that's future in my view.
0: All right. well, I'll have to register for that. That sounds. I, I thought that might have been an in-person thing as well, but if, if I can register and
3: attend. Yes, It's online webinar due to cool. COVID situation. I I believe.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Well, best best of luck with that. And, and look, really, really thank you for taking the time out and, and talking to us. Really appreciate it.
3: Thank you very much for, for inviting me and for opportunity to to
0: talk. So we come to the end of another podcast. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure, Chris and Rob. Always. Oh, Think, thanks again. And um, we'll see you on the other side at some stage. Yeah? All
1: right.
2: Looking forward to the next episode.